0: In this episode, I feature Peg Alston. In the nearly four decades since establishing Peg Alston Fine Arts, she has emerged as the country's foremost private dealer, specializing in works by African-American artists and other artists of African descent. In addition to handling art created by gifting emerging and mid-career artists, Peg has sold works by some of the most renowned 20th century black masters. She emerged on the New York art scene in 1972, a time when art by African Americans was limited. Early giants such as Ramir Bearden and Norman Lewis generously served as informal mentors during the beginning stages of her career. PEG has played a pivotal role in cultivating an interest all around the country for investing in African American fine art and formed close associations with many of today's most important African American artists. An impressive pioneer, in 1980 PEG curated the first exhibit featuring African American artists in Abidjan, Ivory Coast and West Africa. I am delighted to feature Peg on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast as she shares her enviable journey with us. Thank you and enjoy. Peg, I am so delighted and actually tickle pink to feature you on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Phyllis.
1: And um, after having known you for many years and Seeing your interest grow in art, I am. It is my pleasure
0: to um, be talking with you today. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you're you're an important person. So let's dive in because we have a lot to talk about, and you have a lot to say.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so let's start with you telling us what motivated you to open up your gallery.
1: Well, um, that was a period when um, there seemed to be no interest in African-American artists within the art world, the world of, you know, galleries, uh, certainly in, in New York. And New York was the art center and still continues to be, even though, you know, there might be some growing interest in London, et cetera. But um, New York has been the art center for many years. Um, Say, having said that, uh, there was zero interest in African-American artists going back to, let's say, the 60s, earlier, actually, And um, when I became aware of art, which was from a kind of a serendipitous um, experience where in in college I um, babysat for someone who had this art on her walls, original art, I mean, for me, art and museums went together. I mean, I never saw visited a home where art was on the wall, so that was a first for me. Uh, these were international artists, white artists, etc. But um, I felt at that time that there had to have been black artists as, as well. And from the experience of being around art. Um, I mean, it it just overtook me, actually. Um, I remember making a note, mental note that I, too, was going to have art. I saw the beauty of originals. And um, I wanted works by Black artists because I felt that it would have more to do with my experience. Um, at that point, I'm not certain I could have named one. But uh, I knew the artist um, that artists existed. So that was my beginning uh, in the world of art. But at that time, I did not know that it would overtake my life and that it would be one of the major interests. Um, You know, I was just interested in being around art. Having art, and, but and, and that was the extent of it. Uh, shall I go on? Oh yes,
0: yes, because I want to talk about who <laughs> your mentor was.
1: Right. Okay. So as I continued, and not only um, you know paintings. I mean, I my first artwork I purchased um, after college, and um, you know I paid on time. You know after having met this. One artist, Earl Miller. And um I also liked African sculpture. So, um, my first uh, show was of African sculpture. When I say show, I exhibited works long years after that experience, of my babysitting experience. Um but, you know, I purchased what I could when I could. And then it dawned on me that none of my friends or colleagues seemed to be interested. And uh, I felt it was extremely important uh, for for us, our culture. And um, I just set out to create a market and inform um, my friends and friends of friends about art when I, you know, from my, my, um, position that I was a social work, I trained in sociology, masters in from Columbia, but it was, you know, just a, a career, not a a love of that career. Mm -hmm. And once I remember saying, you know, ask, you know, like, what did I, what would I enjoy doing most? um i you know art popped up i knew yeah. what i would um begin and and change in in my life so uh it was to promote art mm-hmm. and uh so at that time, you know there were there were no precedents there were no um art galleries or galleries that i could uh, speak to but, um, you know, in my way, I um, just set out to, to introduce art to um, the, uh, the black community who um, helped me at one point. And it was, you know, someone that I was dating at the time who also seemed interested in art and also interested in, in what I was doing in, to promote art. We knew about uh, Bearden. I even went to uh, his his show at Museum of Modern Art, Um, his city scenes, his collages. Prior to that, I remember seeing his works um, at an opening at uh, Spiral, which was an organization formed by artists like Norman Lewis, Hale or Romare Bearden, Earl Miller, and it was through Earl Miller that um, my first husband and I attended um, an exhibit of Spiral down in in the village. And um, at that time, Bearden, Romare Bearden, was an unknown as any of the other artists. But he was one that was later selected to, uh, along with Jacob Lawrence. To have been represented by galleries and for him to have a show at um, MoMA was was quite a quite a feat. Mm-hmm. And um, so my friend, who at that time was you know appreciated what I was attempting to do, suggested that I call Bearden. Now you know there are certain people you have on a pedestal as they should be, right? You know, you, you don't try to contact them. You know, you just admire them from a distance, as I did. And then my friend gave me, at that time, there were telephone books. He said, here's the telephone <laughs> book. Contact Bearden now. And he was listed. Wow. He was listed. He loved the fact that um, I was a young a black woman attempting to um, promote art, even though he was, um, had already been, you know, represented by a gallery. But I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, clients uh, and the owners were were white. So he loved the fact that I was trying to get uh, our community interested in art and um, he helped the the best he could, even once okay Harris Gallery when they were getting ready to move. I mean, he thought that it was going to you know the art was going to really develop at a fast rate i mean i I knew better in, in a sense that uh, you know you first need clientele in order to continue to, to run a gallery, but he did, um, help me in, in many ways. Like he formed Cinque Gallery along with Norman Lewis, et cetera. He had me work there and, um, he also made it possible for, um, you know, me to acquire works as did, um, and to, to, uh, sell as did Jacob Lawrence, um, who I saw in, on Madison Avenue. I recognized him, ran up, introduced myself. And um, at the time, he was with uh, Terry Ditton Fass, a gallery, I think it was on 57th Street, had been with them for years. And he um, had a meeting with Terry um, and and wanted Terry to meet me. And he just said, I would like for her to, handle some of my works, how can this be arranged? Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, you know, he just made that statement, how can this be arranged? So uh, I, I do um, owe a lot to those artists, um, and they, they saw the importance uh, of having their works at least introduced to their own community because it wasn't
0: happening uh, with their galleries. It's wonderful. Well, wow, what an opportunity. I can't even imagine. And I mean there've been so many fabulous artists. I mean, so share with us the relationship that you have with uh, with Frank Bowling.
1: Well, there were a lot of a number of artists that, you know, because I set out to to know who the artists were. Um and also, from my point of view, it, it that didn't even um, it wasn't necessary that the artists be known. There were a lot of, there were many. Well, all of these artists that we're speaking of now, uh, or will be, didn't have gallery representation um, early on. I mean, uh, Bowling did have uh, was represented by a gallery, Tibor De But at the same time, he contacted me because, again, I think he um, was interested in his work being introduced to uh, the black community. My, I, I, from let's say the seventies, early seventies, seventy-five to two thousand, I was a well. I still am a private dealer, and I. Had exhibits in my apartment. And um, I, in 2000, um, I started renting space on the first floor of the building where I live. And it was the first time it was really a treat because I was able to then separate the art that I was selling from the art that belonged to me. So my first artist. Uh, who opened uh, my inaugural opening was Frank Bowling, and um, you know we have had a uh, you know working relationship up until the time he was um, picked up by a couple of galleries, one in London, one in New York, as a result of being a member, the first black member of the Royal Academy in London. And um, so his career really
0: took off in a big way after that. And you had a relationship also with um, Ed Clark and and Faith Ringgold and several others, right? Right. Ed,
1: um, I saw he he had a gallery, gallery, I think you, um, down in Soho, which is where we met. And um, we we continued, you know, because then I would just follow and go to exhibits. That's what we did. Um, And he also had not, uh, his clients were not black. It was the James U Gallery, actually, the full name. And um, he asked to have a show. Hmm. And that's when I was still showing in my apartment um, because he wanted he said he wanted to know how blacks accepted his art. He was an abstract artist and, um, he just, he said, if they didn't like it, fine, but you know, he was quite a realist, always has But He says, but I just want to know. I learned a lot from, uh, Ed in short, in terms of how to hang, uh, announcements, um, just many things that uh, take place with a gallery because early on his, he worked at a gallery, actually of uh, the Sydney Janice gallery, which is where many of the artworks, my babysitter owned, they were on her walls because she was a friend of his or, you know, um, a client. And, but I didn't know um, at, at that time But as a result of his experience in a gallery, I learned a lot from him. Well, the the show was quite a success because a number of things pastel sold. We took things down, put up new works, and had a reception the following week. That's just how uh, well, you know, the um, Blacks loved his work. And you know, we we continued um, you know working relationship for years after that. Actually in nineteen eighty I had a show, I was invited to exhibit in the Ivory Coast, the first time black artists would have um, been in an exhibit there. And um I included and I had eight artists, four abstract and four figurative. Um, Howardena Pindell was one of the um, artists, abstract female artists. Uh, Bill Hudson, um, William T. Williams, a figurative artist named Fierce West, who went to, got a scholarship to Yale grad school, um, who then was um, moved to Ohio. So, a lot of people in New York aren't familiar with him, even though he had a show at the Studio Museum when it was 24 the youngest uh, artist to have shown and had a, a, a one artist exhibit. But I'm trying to think of all the other artists who um, Barkley Hendricks was in that show in the Ivory Coast. I wanted Al Loving, but he his works weren't ready by the time, you know, the deadline. So I think he always regretted that um, he he wasn't ready for the for the show and therefore couldn't be in the show. But from that time on, he said he continued to paint. He was never without art. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, so Ed and I continued, uh, you know, a working relationship. I even had a show. Later in, um, I can't remember now, 2010 or earlier of his, his works, uh, from Mexico, the Mexican series. Then let's see, Faith Ringgold, I had a show, um, when her works were just selling for $150, they were, you know, mass made from, um, cloth, because at some point she realized how much easier it would be if she had works that she was able to carry around rather than things that were on um, canvas and stretched, et cetera. And if you don't have money, you know, having to ship them if you can't afford, you know, that expense. And so she began to do soft um, art on. On, on the tech, textiles, et cetera. I mean, I think her um, quilts followed after that. Wow. But uh, I just went with, in my collection, all the artists that I could, who were available, that I could collect the works, the art that appealed to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I deliberately um, set out to have as complete a compl- uh, collection of artists from, you know, the period of the 60s. The ones earlier, like Tanner, they were expensive. And, you know, artists from, let's say, the, the 20s were a, a little bit too expensive for me because to try to make a living at that time... to from a market that didn't exist was hard and at the same time wanting to have a collection as well to be surrounded by art Mm -hmm. and um I uh then set out to you know look for other artists the younger artists and uh it didn't matter to me that an artist might be unknown it was the work that I that would speak or, you know, wouldn't speak to me, let's say. And once, you know, people, artists learned of um, my gallery, um, I did, you know, get a lot of requests by phone and the mail. Um, there, were, there were not digitals at that point because this was, you know, not... Um, people would just have to send slides. But I would say that out of maybe... 20 artists who would send me images of their works, I would select maybe one of that 20. Um, When artists sent me works and the styles were so varied, um, I knew that that artist hadn't arrived yet of uh, defining his or her um, language, which I called a style, which is kind of a, a language, and um, it was the the artists who were also not um, commercial, the artists who were painting, creating, sculpting to satisfy themselves first, Hmm. Um, and if someone liked their work, fine, but they were not going to alter their style to sell something. Those were the artists that, I, that mattered to me and that I, I looked for. And when, when did you meet Howard Dina? I can't, uh, again, I think in the 70s, there was a, one, uh, one occasion when Howard Dina was uh, showing and represented by two galleries simultaneously. Um, I always felt, that she was a very strong artist and um, one of the more outstanding female artists. I think you know
0: it's it's continues to uh, to today. Mm-hmm. Being a private gallerist, uh, share with us the luxuries of of being private. I mean, you can probably support artists in a in a different manner.
1: Uh, well, it is, uh, and I find, cause there's an organization called the Private Art Dealers Association, just like there's the AADA, American Art Dealers Association, which more or less has to do with um, public galleries. One of the reasons um, I remained a private dealer, I mean, like, I didn't have backing um To open a gallery, I didn't want to, once I opened a gallery, I never wanted to have to close because of lack of funds. But uh, in reality, there were not enough supporters, collectors of um, our art to keep a a gallery running. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just the reality. And so it was, therefore, much easier for me to, um, to show at home and um, not have the overhead of a gallery that I would not be able to, um, you know, keep up.
0: And in, in your opinion, uh, what, what, what... Right, go on. No, I was just going to ask you your, your thoughts on how the, uh, the, uh, the gallery landscape has changed over the years tremendously um
1: when I had uh, my my show in 1980 in in the Ivory Coast um at a gallery that was owned and run by the daughter-in-law of the president of the Ivory Coast in my um article in in the catalog which was you know translated into French now I have to have it translated back to English in order to know what I said at that time in, in 1980. But I I do remember saying then that in a few years, um, our art would be, uh, recognized by the international art world. I mean, I knew that it was a, a time was going to occur when, uh, The the artists would, because the art was so good. I mean, you know, you just can't hold something that excellent back forever. I mean, Van Gogh, for instance, didn't uh, sell anything during his lifetime except the, you know, his uh, brother, Theo, who also supported him. Uh, And you can't say that because his things didn't sell, that he wasn't a good artist. Um, In the same token with uh, our black artists, you can't, you know, Norman Lewis, for instance, Norman was, uh, you know, everybody who now collects artists of of color and and at one point, you know, and I think it's becoming where art is international, you know what I mean? There shouldn't be, and I never call it black art. It's art by artists who happen to be black or who happen to be Afri- African, american um, the art is universal. And I always um, look for the day when the art will be universal and there. And, and I, you know, we have begun that. I mean, with the new wings at, uh, at MoMA, you see the, the art works by black artists that are, you know, just hung with, all the other artists and that that's how it, it, it should be. But to go back to people like, for instance, Norman Lewis, he was again with someone that, uh, my friends said, contact Norman, contact Norman, you know, because these artists didn't have galleries
0: mm-hmm.
1: and their work was so ex, you know, just so beautiful and extraordinary. But Norman had a he had a, a personality where, you know, if he didn't like you, you knew it. I mean, um, he he called a spade a spade. He was very very clear about what he liked, what he didn't like. When there would be talks in, you know, museums, etc., about or panel discussions about our art, you knew Norman had would have a lot to say if you know he was there. It took me two years to get up the nerve to approach Norman, <laughs> but I just didn't know how, what he would say. I mean, I was I was shy believe it or not. I, I'm really shy. But when I start talking about art, I mean, you have to lose that shyness. So <laughs> right. I got over it a bit. But with Norman, I, you know, it, it was so hard for me to approach him. And when finally I did, he said, "I wonder, wondered when you were going to ask me." Wow! So you wow. know that was such a sigh of relief. And he became a mentor as well. And he he was an artist who painted each and every day, as did Bearden. I frankly, I think um, Bearden had too many shows um, that that his his gallerist, um was so successful with his works that where sometimes the most most galleries you have a break. I mean, you know, like a year, maybe two, three years later, there will be a show of their works again. I mean, because you have to give them time to to create also. Right. But with, uh, with uh, the beer instance, he had a show every year, it seemed. And that was, I can imagine, very, very stressful. But Norman, he painted each and every day. And, um, you know, you see the beauty. And he also knew that his art was important. He, he knew that um, very, very clear. He was very clear about the fact that his um, color was the only thing that was holding him back. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he must be rejoicing somewhere. <laughs> Uh, to know just how um, much is his
0: art is in demand, and I want to ask you a question about appreciation and, and prices. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised at the price level on some of the work these days, or are you surprised that it took so long? I, I, I am surprised. I'm, I'm. 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 Yeah, I'm very
1: uh, surprised at the um, at how much. The the valuations have uh, you know that had have have increased and occurred. Uh, yet at the same time, on some like for instance, um, Romare Bearden, had he been a white artist, his works would be worth far more than they are today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's it's really ironic that um, let's take Basquiat for instance who uh, whose prices far exceed somebody like um Romare Bearden and I I consider Romy to be of the 20s the Picasso of black artists I mean you know he was became like a household name uh, even though I'm still surprised when, you know, I meet Blacks and, and, and they never heard of Romare Bearden. I mean, it. but it's still, it, it is occurring today. But uh, for the most part, when people think of a 20th century artist, um, you know, Bearden is, is the name that, that comes up. I think the reason for that, however, is that these artists, many of them, were not um, represented by galleries who had an international, you know, um, recognition or um, they had exposure. Many of the galleries were just New York-based. Even, like for instance, uh, Jacob Lawrence. Uh, even though I knew there was a plan afoot to have a show of his in Europe, I don't think it occurred before he died. So I think that's one of the reasons why the valuations for some of the artists like Bearden uh, were lower. Even though I know that um, Tate Modern, I had a relationship with the curator, one of the curators there, and they were interested in um, purchasing a um, a Bearden. It didn't happen because also even some of the galleries today, when they pick up a, a, a Black artist, some of them who have existed, they put, they assume that the price should be a certain amount. And that certain amount is not uh, equivalent with some of the more successful um, white artists. And uh, again, that's changing. But when you see, for instance, um, some of the auction prices of of some of these artists, it indicates that they are um, becoming internationally known and that the collectors are not just black,
0: but, um, you know, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's great to see things changing. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. My last question to you is, what's your opinion on, on, on the value that art serves? Like, it's importance that, that human beings have art in their life. Well, you know, um,
1: we never think, we haven't thought of art as a form of enjoyment. Um, even sometimes, you know, the top galleries, they, they think more in terms of investment, but, um, beyond investment is the, um, just the joy that you receive as a result of looking at something that you selected based on your feeling, how, you relate to that artwork. <laughs> uh, and, and no one can, t- can tell you that that should be the work of your choice. Only you know that. And um, so I have been, I have never talked about art as an investment. I, um, and now on some levels I can, but um, before it was trying to get a, person to just select something that they liked. I mean, you know, like often somebody would come in with a friend and then they would ask the friend what they thought. And of course, you know, the friend is going to be responding from their point of view and they may not even be as interested in art as you are. So when I would, I would just say, oh my God, when, you know, someone would bring someone, but once it got through that, select something that you like when they would take it then they understood what it what it was all about and that person would then come back a second third fourth time because they got it uh had i i think maybe talked about investment etc you would have something on the wall or you'd have something to match your couch that kind of thing and you know it has no purpose uh, in your life but a, a decorative form right. but art goes far more uh, you know, than, than decoration
0: This has been a wonderful conversation and I tell you I'm so uh, delighted to feature you your insight, uh, your perspectives the artists you've been exposed to, it's, uh, I'm just delighted to be able to share you with, with listeners and thank you so much
1: Well thank you, thank you uh, it, it's My pleasure to be talking with you, Phyllis.
0: Thanks so much, Peg. Take care. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks Podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.